God, thank you that we can know him. <laughs> that, that, that this isn't just some concept of a, of a powerful figure in history that we have absolutely no access to. But because of his shed blood on the cross, because of what he did for us, we can know him. And Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for not understanding the very power of the name of Christ. I pray, Father, that even this morning, you would open our eyes and cause us to realize how good you are, how trustworthy you are. And Father, may we fall into your arms, into your hands, may we commit everything we have in this life. God, thank you for worship. Thank you for what we get out of it. But most importantly, God, I pray that the words of our mouths, that the melody or the lack thereof would have brought a great smile to your face this morning. I pray we would continue to worship you well as we look into your word together. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and find a seat there. All right. Good morning. Um, it's Palm Sunday, thus the green shirt. Yeah, somebody reminded me it was Palm Sunday, and I realized I had a green shirt, so I thought I'd give it a shot. Um, take your Bibles if you have a Bible. If you don't have one, I'll encourage you to go into the, the back there at, through those doors and, and grab one for yourself so you can follow along. Uh, we are going to be in Luke chapter 23, but I'm going to begin in Luke chapter 19 this morning. So if you want to turn in your Bible to Luke chapter, to ni- uh, Luke chapter 19, I, uh, just a word at the onset here, we are in the middle of our... Um, Actually, we're not at the middle. We're at the tail end of our series on the seven sayings of Jesus while he was on the cross. And and I'm going to admit this up front, even though many of us may not even realize it as we went through the morning, but the, 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 um, the saying that we're going to go over today is actually saying number seven. I know I'm going out of order, but there's a reason for that, because saying number six is what is going to be the passage for our Good Friday service this coming Friday night. And so, by way of reminder and announcement, you should have gotten a card on your way in. That card has the information about our Good Friday service and our Easter service. Listen, um, I'll be careful how I say that. I gotta let the Holy Spirit actually take this one because I could really screw this up. I am not interested in the least. (laughs) Oh, well, we're gonna go with it. I'm not interested in the least how many people are sitting here on Friday night or on Sunday morning. Sounds awful. With this, this caveat, every person who sits in here Friday night and Sunday is a soul that one day is going to stand before God. And just because they come to Uniontown Bible Church on Good Friday or Easter Sunday doesn't mean they're going to have a, a warm welcome when they cross into God's presence to, to stand before him and hear either, well done, welcome into my kingdom, or depart from me, I never knew you. But our intention for Friday night and for Sunday is to lay the gospel out so thick and so honest and so in their faces that they're going to have to make a decision. And so those cards are opportunities for you to hand to a neighbor, a coworker, somebody who you just haven't had the guts to invite to church before and say, listen, come with us, or I'll meet you there, or we can go out for dinner afterwards at Uncle Maddie's. Really not a whole lot of other places around. (laughs) I'm going to cram Uncle Maddie's, but that's all right. But, but seriously, this is an opportunity. So I'm going to encourage you to take advantage of, of that opportunity that, that um, God kind of lays in your lap there. So, um, yeah. Let me, let me start reading. I'm going to start reading in, in, in Luke chapter 19. Um, and I think I'm going to do this too. So, so um, the guys in the back don't freak out. I'm not going to do any slides up here. I'm just going to let that sit. Uh, I want to... 
going to make a, a decision on the fly with that, all right? So just follow along with me. I'll try not to confuse you too much. Of course, if you were here first service last week, you got to see that that confused us anyway. If, we're, if, you, uh, if you weren't here, that, well, just a little thing. First service, the computer pff, twice went down, right? Second service, computer worked great. But then, somewhere locally, a little squirrel climbed into a transformer. And so in the middle of preaching second service last week, the lights flashed and it went, and all the microphones went away. Now, you know, I don't have a problem with that. So last week was our rodeo. Hopefully the rodeo's done. All right, man, I am like all over the place this morning, aren't I? Praise God. All right. I love you guys. Uh, yeah, thanks. It's like the first time I said it to Stephanie, she's like, okay. <laughs> um, so thanks. <laughs> That's probably a little too much, my bad. But I do. <laughs> and one of the things I love about you is the fact that um, you're here and a lot of you are struggling. And a lot of you are very honest with your struggles. And so as I consider where we're going this morning, I just wanted to remind you, I love you, but nowhere near as much as God loves you. And I, I'd be happy to walk alongside you, but I can't fix anything. God promises he's there for you. Keep that in mind as we walk through this morning. I wanted to start in, in, in chapter 19 of Luke on purpose. I wanted to start there because it's, it's Palm Sunday, and I wanted to set the context for Jesus being on the cross here. Starting in verse 28 of Luke 19, it says this, And after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you're going to find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. It's kind of funny. Jesus basically just told his disciples, Go steal a donkey for me. If anybody asks you, why are you untying it, say, oh, because the Lord needs it. Don't try that today, okay? <laughs> so those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. And that was good enough. Verse 35, they brought it to Jesus. They put their cloaks on the colt and they put Jesus on it. Now as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus replied, I tell you this, if they were to keep quiet, the stones will cry out. You know that was on Sunday evening as Jesus entered on the back of a colt. It was five days later that as he prayed in Gethsemane, that Judas led the soldiers as they came to arrest him. They took him away to the high priests who made their false accusations, and in the morning, Friday morning, they led him to 
Pilate. And you'll remember Pilate found no guilt in him, had him scourged, but then said, let's send him over to Herod. Maybe Herod can figure this out. And Herod was all excited that Jesus was coming into his presence because Herod had heard so much about Jesus, he was looking forward to a magic show. But when Jesus refused to do any miracles or magic, Herod had no time for him. So he got him beaten again and returned to Pilate. Luke chapter 23, verse 13 is where we pick up. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and he said to them, listen, you've brought me this man as one who is inciting the people to rebellion. I've examined him in your presence, and I have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither is Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I'll punish him, but then I'm going to release him. The whole crowd shouted, no, no, away with this man. Instead, release Barabbas to us. Now, Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they continued to shout, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time, Pilate spoke to them. Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished, and then I will release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they had asked for, and he surrendered Jesus to their will. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Serene, who was on his way in from the country, and they put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. Five days. Five days from when everybody was shouting about how wonderful it was that the king had come, that there would be great peace, that they would celebrate glory in the highest, blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord, five days. Some of those very same people are crying out for Jesus' crucifixion. Let's continue reading in verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. They divided up his clothes by casting lots. And the people stood watching, and the rulers were even sneering at him, saying, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. Soldiers, they also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if if you're the king of the Jews, then why don't you save yourself? There's written a notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. Now one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Well then save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him saying, but don't you fear God? 
You're, you're under the same sentence as him. We're punished justly. We're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. And it was now about noon. Darkness came over the whole land until about three in the afternoon. The sun had stopped shining. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus, he called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That saying is both simple and complex. That saying is marked with this very basic understanding and knowledge and marked with a theological deepness, practical depth that each one of us needs to wrestle with. The problem is, is if you focus on just the simplicity, you miss the power of the statement. And if you focus just on the complexity, you miss the power of the statement. So, so it's important that we look at both. And, and, and maybe just a picture for you of, of simple and complexity may, may help us wrap our, our heads around it a little bit. The there's a Taylor tradition when the kids are growing up. They're getting older. Um, we have a place that we go to. Uh, my in-laws have a place in the mountains, and they've got uh, mountains of Pennsylvania, and they have a pond. And on that pond, there's a, just a little bit of a, a, a dock. Not, not a huge dock, but a little bit of a, a deck dock kind of thing. Sounds like I'm rhyming. Um, and, and the tradition is when the kids, you know, get old enough and brave enough, they are going to jump off of the dock to dad who's waiting in the water below. Now, we don't just say you need to jump because... You need to jump. That's what tailors do. No, there's incentives. You jump, you get five bucks. It's a good deal. It's not that far. I mean, this is probably the, the, the depth here. It's really not that far. And dad's right there. And so, in, and now, let's, let's just, there's a lot of funny stories with the first jump of every kid. Um, I know at least one. I'm guessing it was more than one. It involved a child in a life jacket, just in case dad missed, standing on the edge, getting ready to jump, getting ready to jump, and meanwhile, I'm like turning to prunes because I'm waiting in the water so long, and they just won't do it, and so um, they get a little help. Now, see, see, I just want to make sure you all understand this. I'm the loud one, and so you all think that I'm the one that causes all the problems. You got to watch the quiet ones. For my wife likes to walk behind him and like, oh dear, you'll be just fine. <laughs> and then you have a screaming child. And then, but then once they do it, they're fine. Once they've taken the plunge, they're in. In fact, there was one child who's like, I did it four times. How many $5 do I get? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, the simplicity of it is this. Dad's in the water. You just got to jump into his hands. He's, he's be a kid. Jump into dad's hands. The complexity of it is, I don't think I'm going to make it. In the heart of a child who's ready to take that leap, there's profound fear and angst in their soul, yeah? So it's kind of like that. That the simplicity of this statement that says, Father, for, um, into your hands I commit my spirit, the simplicity of it is, is a, it's got a couple of nuances to it. The first is this. It's simply a quote from Psalm 31, verse 5. 
Psalm 31, verse 5, into your hands I commit my spirit. The only difference is a significant difference. The only difference is, is a profound difference. In its simplicity, what Jesus adds to Psalm 31, 5 is one word, and it's Father. Pater. Abba. Dad. Now, 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 you can't carry that too far. It's not informal, but it is familiar and it's intimate. The simplicity is Jesus is talking to his daddy. And he says, daddy, in this moment, commit my spirit into your hands. Daddy. Any dads in the room know, man, you, there, there's something about being called daddy. My girls, both girls, still call me daddy. And when they do, it's like, okay, yeah, they got me. My boys, they call me something like dude or dog or something. I don't know. It's, a little different, something cool. <laughs> but there's something, something real about that relationship. Some, it's simple, too. It, it is. I'm, I'm their daddy. I want to be their daddy forever. Even when those evil other boys show up, I still want to be daddy. And in this moment, that's the familiarity that Jesus is calling on his father with. Here's the thing we need to remember. When he quotes a psalm in that spot, that's not an odd thing. It's not different. It's not, it's not something that we wouldn't expect. The psalms were the, both the songbook and the prayer book of the, the Hebrews at this time. And so if, it was, if things were going great, they would sing a psalm. If things were going hard and difficult, they would pray a psalm. And so it really wasn't um, very surprising, but there is something that's happening behind the scenes that if you don't know, you miss how simple this prayer of Jesus is on the cross. See that, into your hands I commit my spirit, that, that isn't just any psalm. That's the bedtime prayer of every child in Israel. You know the, the bedtime prayer we have, now I lay me down to sleep? You know that? I don't even know the real one. I know the one I used to, we made fun of in college. Now I lay me down to rest, I pile a book upon my chest. If I die before I wake, that's one less test I'll have to take. That was, that was the one I knew in college. I don't think it's the real one. I was hoping it was just you guys noticed, but evidently not. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> thought I did that already. Um, the, the now I lay me down to sleep is a, you know, whatever you do with your children before they go to bed, okay, let's pray, dear. And usually for kids, it's the repetitive prayer. For, for the Hebrews, for the Israelites, it was exactly this. It was Psalm 31.5, into your hands I commit my spirit. And so that very night that Jesus prayed this prayer on the cross, that very night when, when Jesus died on the cross, that very night in countless homes in that area, that when, when moms would tuck their, their little ones into bed and blow out the light, I, I said turn out the light when I was talking to my family this week and my daughter reminded me there was no electricity, so you had to blow out the light. And, and then they, moms would come and, and hold the, the tiny little hands of their, 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 their little kids and, and they would listen while their child prayed before they went to sleep and what they would hear is, into your hands I commit my spirit. There's something warming about that, isn't it? The fact that on the cross, as Jesus was willingly laying down his life, instead of launching into some deep theological discovery with his final breath, what he did is he offered up a child's prayer. 
something that was identifiable and attainable by every single one of us. And at the foot of the cross, the people who were there would have recognized that, that prayer of Jesus in its, in its very simplicity. And, and in that very simple prayer, in that childlike prayer, it demonstrates something incredibly profound. It only takes the faith of a child to understand this, and it's this. You ready? God is trustworthy. It, it, it takes the, the faith of a child. When you, when you really start wrestling with what does the faith of a child look like, seriously, just look at your own children. When, when you're in the car and you're driving a long distance, do your children pay attention to every detail of the trip? No, dad's driving. I'm taking a nap or I'm playing one of the countless gaming systems that I have or watching a DVD or playing the alphabet game. I'm not paying attention to dad driving. And dads, we say thank you because we don't want you to see the speedometer and tell mom. Um, but but there, there's this profound childlike trust that's occurring in the car as dad's driving. Here's one that we overlook all the time. There is this profound childlike trust when mom or dad bends down to scoop up the little one to carry them. Okay, so, so no, I don't think so. Oh, really? Why don't you go run and jump into somebody else's arms? Do you trust them to carry you down the stairs? Uh, no. Your child doesn't even think twice about it. Why? Because you're daddy. You're trustworthy. The, the, the kid who, who gets tucked into bed and sleeps at 7.30, 8 o'clock at night, Lord willing, <laughs> is not lying in bed awake and worrying about how the electric bill is going to be paid the next day. His daddy's got that. A childlike faith is not an immature faith. It's deeply trusting. And the cry of immature faith is simply this. God can be trusted because he's trustworthy. That's the, the simple side of this, this, this prayer of Jesus on the cross. The, the complex side of this prayer on the cross is, is, is really you have to understand the context, which is why I read so much leading up to it. So when he prays, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, you can't ignore what's happening around Jesus. You've got darkness. You've got impending death. You've got hardship and difficulty, great suffering, this, this overwhelming attack of people on him. And in the middle of all of that, he says something very difficult. He says, at this moment, I place all of me into your hands. That, that, that word, into your hands, I commit my spirit. The idea and, and meaning behind that word commit is I'm going to deposit it for safekeeping. God, I'm taking everything that I have, I'm taking my entire life, and I'm placing it in your hands, knowing that I can what? Trust you. God, whatever's going on around me, I commit it to you. I mean, Jesus said virtually the same thing a number of times throughout his life. You think about John chapter 4, he says, listen, my, my, the, the disciples are, aren't you hungry? And he says, listen, my food is to do the will of my Father. I, 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 I am filled full when I am able to accomplish what it is that God's called me to do because above and beyond everything else, I trust him and I want to do what he's called me to do. Um, he taught, in John chapter 12, it talks about how anything that Jesus spoke was only spoken by what the Father commanded him to speak. You look again at the, the garden in, in Matthew chapter 26, and we're all very familiar with that prayer. As Jesus looked towards the cross, it wasn't, he wasn't skipping and jumping. Yeah, I can't wait. Can't wait. Yay. It was, Father, if there'd be any other possibility, 
If there's any other way for us to accomplish the, the redemption, what is going on in this place? That was the snow, I think. It's the first time in two years I've heard the snow, so officially, welcome. <laughs> um, going back to the garden, man. <laughs> I wasn't sure if anybody else heard it until I saw all of you go. Um, as he's in the garden, if there's any other way to accomplish this, Father, if there's any other way for us to... There's the rest of it, okay. We got a couple more, we're just going to ignore it now. <laughs> if there's any other way for you to accomplish redemption, if there's something else that I can do, then let's do that. I mean, I think the interruptions kind of caused us to miss the, the depth and power of that moment when Jesus is praying that in the garden. Think about that for a minute. Jesus, the Son of God who was created, he was, he was around even before the foundation of the world. Jesus, not created by God. I said created, and that's not a word that goes with Jesus. Jesus has eternally existed and will eternally exist. So, so as Jesus, at the very before the foundation of the world, is considering the, the plan of salvation and what this looks like, he knows what's going to happen. He knows where this is headed, but he is so human in his humanity and so divine in his divinity, he lays himself prostrate at, the, at, the, at the, the, the foot of the throne, crying out, God, if there's any other way, but regardless, regardless of how much it hurts, regardless of how scared I am, regardless of how it affects my humanity, Father, I commit all of this into your hands, because I want your will, not mine. So, so it wasn't an odd thing for Jesus to roll up all of his trust into the Father's hands. Um, let's be honest. It's easier said than done. Let's, let's be honest. It's easy um, for us to say, Lord, I'm going to put all of this in your hands and I'm going to trust you when the flowers are blooming, sun shining. When, uh, when your heart's full of joy, when you're overwhelmed with joy when you look at your family, when work's going well, when you're able to breathe deep, when the, the blessings of a blessed life being touched by the love of God are being exhibited in you every day. I mean, forgive me for arrogance, but if that was my life, it would be easy for me to say this too. Hey, I commit this to you, Lord. Much more difficult to say that when the pressure's on. It, it remind, <laughs> reminds me of, of wedding vows. It's easy to make promises at your wedding ceremony. It's easy to stand in front of, of your friends and your family and, and people who you haven't seen forever or you may not even know, they just showed up dressed to the nines. I mean, you are just dapper looking and you're standing before them and there's, there's a fellow in front of you with, with his, his black book and he's reading through all these things and he gets, now we're going to exchange vows. I do promise you before God in this assembly that I will love you in richness, in poor, in health, in sickness. I've done about a hundred weddings and I can't remember them off the top of my head. How about that? But it's easy to make those promises. I'm going to love you no matter, how, no matter how sick you may get. I'm going to love you in sickness and in health. It's easy to promise it. It's hard to carry it out when she's puking on your shoes a week later. Right? It's a whole different ballgame. Making a promise and then doing it. Two very different things. 
And here there's no flowers, the sun's hidden, the crowds are screaming against him. Um, you could say, and I, I, I've read this, that's good timing. You could say that, um, I, I read this this week and it kind of took me back. You could say that from the, the perspective of Jesus on the cross, that he could, he wouldn't say it, we would say it. There's no visual evidence of the father being there at that point. You have torture, heartache, betrayal, tears. You've got a hill with, with three crosses on it. I mean, you could, you could make the, 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 the statement as you looked at that, that God seems to be missing from this equation. So, so look at your life. Unspeakable sickness and disease. Incredible financial difficulty. Relational tension from the people who you love the most and are closest to you in your family. having no answers in the middle of that, you could try to make the argument that God seems to be missing. But he's not. I mean, let me share a few things with you just to kind of to point that out a little bit. I, I, somebody said once that, that God is doing 10,000 different things in your life, and at best you may be aware of three of them. Think, think about the life of Joseph. There's Joseph sitting in prison waiting waiting. And, and, and the period of time that goes on uh, after he had been promised that somebody, I'll, I'll go talk to the Pharaoh and I'll let him know so you can be released. Or I'll let him know what your giftedness is so you can be used. That time just went on and on and on and on and on. And there Joseph sat thinking, God must have forgotten me. There Joseph sat, well, where's God in the middle of all this? Here I am sitting in here, rotting away in prison. I have the opportunity and abilities to do wonderful things for you, God, but here I am going through this difficult time. Where are you? Why aren't you acting? Well, well, in reality, while Joseph was sitting in prison, what was happening is that God was preparing Pharaoh to receive Joseph. God was, was preparing an entire nation to, to depend on Joseph for food by bringing about a famine. God was working in the lives and the hearts of Joseph's brothers to bring about reconciliation between Joseph and them. See, it may have seemed like God was missing from that equation as Joseph just sat there in prison, but in reality, God continued to act. The life of David. The life of David as he ran from Saul and hid in caves and, and pretended to be insane a few times in order to escape. It would have been easy for David to say, listen, you promised something to me, God, but, but here I am, and where in the world are you? Did you take a break? I mean, where, where have you gone? Well, in fact, in the middle of the hiding, in the middle of the difficulty, what God was doing was preparing David to be a man after his own heart. What God was doing was preparing David to trust and to wait on him. And he was readying Israel to receive their divinely appointed king. But that wasn't from David's perspective, right? It may not have been what we thought as we stood at the foot of the cross either. There's injustice that's going unpunished. 
There's wicked men who are claiming victory. My, the, the friends of Jesus have deserted him. They've run away. But it's in the middle of those hard moments, in particular in the middle of this moment on the cross, that Jesus saw the all-powerful, omnipotent hand of God holding him. He said, in the middle of these difficulties, I will commit my life into that hand. That's what we're told in, um, I always get mixed up, 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, where we're told that um, Jesus embraced the suffering of the cross and, and he committed himself to the one who was in control. And that's hard. It's difficult. Particularly if you're going through a hard season. But what Jesus was demonstrating for us right before our eyes, that even in the most difficult of seasons, God's trustworthy. God can be trusted. In the middle of the hardest things you have ever been through, God can be trusted. I'm going to shoot real straight. We think at believing like that and living like that when things are difficult. We're, we are awful at it. Because as sinners, we seem to think that God's only present with us when things are going well. Um, that is so absolutely contrary to the truth. And what we need to understand is that if we're committed to bring God glory, then we need to be prepared for difficulty. Because God's ways aren't our ways. God's thoughts aren't our thoughts. And God owes us nothing. A commitment to God's glory isn't safe. A commitment to God's glory isn't safe. It's not, not getting what you want and then singing happy songs. That's not a commitment to God's glory. That's a commitment to yourself. Right? Life is good. Everybody's getting along. I'm being paid well. The car is running. I don't have any critters running through my house right now. Life is good. Oh, happy day, happy day. Yeah, you know what you're doing? You're celebrating because the God of your life is experiencing victory. That was for effect. <laughs> We've placed ourselves into God's position. We've said, you know, as long as my life lines up the way that I want it to line up, then God is good. The problem is you just betrayed yourself. You've just demonstrated you're your own God. A commitment to God's glory means learning to love him most. More than any other person, more than any other thing, more than ourselves, and more than the design we have for a perfect life without struggles. Not one of us has sat down and come up with a five-year plan and been like, you know, I really do hope that there's great relational strife in the house next year. I think that will help me learn to trust God just a little more. No, none of us plan for that, and you shouldn't seek it. I don't think I have to say that, but I'm going to say it just in case. You don't seek difficulty. We live in a Genesis 3 world. There'll be plenty of it. So you don't seek it. But in the middle of difficulty, you need to remember that God's trustworthy. It's highly emotional, and rightly so, to um, 
oh, I lose a, a dream? Every single one of us has some level of dream that, that we're still pointing towards in some way or another. And the death of a dream is difficult to deal with. Um, it's hard when we lose a friend. It's hard when we struggle even with our own sinfulness. It's hard when your feelings get hurt, isn't it? I think sometimes as adults we play that down. It's hard when your feelings get hurt. It's hard when you have to wait and you have no answers. But, but, but what, what the message of this saying is, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, and in its simplicity, he's simply using a childlike prayer saying, it's okay, it's simple, guys. It's daddy. You can trust him. And it's difficult and complex, guys, because this is just a heap of trouble. And in the middle of that, though, in the middle of that, what you can know is God's hand is always extended to you. He's always grasping onto you, both at good times and times when, when we're aware that we're living in that Genesis 3 reality. God's hand is always extended to you. And so the question is, are you going to trust that he has you? Are you going to decide that, uh, that you know what's best for your life and you know how life should turn out and how each event should turn out and you know what you deserve and what you've earned? Or are you going to view him as Jesus did, trustworthy in the middle of uncontrollable chaos and confusion? Every single one of us lives in this place where we really, if really pressed, we'd have to confess we don't know where we're going and we don't know how we're going to get there. Right? I mean, there's times where we think we have it figured out. And it is funny, in my own personal life, and I, okay, I'm not superstitious at all. I really am not. Um, I make fun of superstition sometimes um, by pretending like I'm superstitious. And, and one of the things that I've, I've, I have, there's times where it's like, all right, I think I got this all figured out. Buckle up. It's like extra money. Look, we have extra money. Eh, okay, get ready. Something's coming. That's God's provision for you. That's not superstition. That's just understanding that God sometimes is gracious and provides ahead of time so we don't have to completely freak out when the car breaks down. Regardless of where you find yourself, how difficult it is, how broken your heart is, you need to understand this. God's omnipotent, all-powerful hand is extended to you, and he's trustworthy. And once you commit your life into his hands, he's never going to let go. I, there, there's reasons beyond our understanding <laughs> when our lives contain difficult and hard and rough and, and, and heartbreaking things. Um, but, but I think it's important we all understand this. The only person in this room who needs to face those hard and difficult things without the strong hand of God is the person who chooses to face those things without the strong hand of God. Because his hand is always extended to you. And he's trustworthy.
It's simple, isn't it? Daddy, I trust you. That sure seems like a big jump, though. And how big it is. He is trustworthy. May we remember that as we walk through the difficulty of the week. Let's pray together. Um, God, I'm just going to shoot straight. I, I know there are people who are wrestling with if they can trust you right now. Um, some of it's because of situations. Some of it's just because of fatigue. Um, there's a lot of reasons for it. But God, I pray you would work and minister to their hearts as only you can. There are no words that I can say that can fix somebody's heart. Your spirit can bring healing. So I pray even in these moments when we we're quiet before we sing and, and, and respond to the preaching of your word. God, I pray that you would remind us of how trustworthy you are. I pray for the ones who are wrestling with the loss of a dream, who are wrestling with loss of relationship. I pray for the ones who are dealing with loss of health. God, I pray that we'd be humble and that we'd approach you with with the humility we need to just cry out, Father, we're, we're, we're committing this to you and we're gonna roll it up into your hands and we're just gonna hang on as you hang on to us. I thank you that the best demonstration of your trustworthiness is that you made promises long before Jesus arrived and said you would send an answer. Thank you that Christ came and laid down his life for us. Now, Lord, I pray that as we view that, that we'd be reminded of how we can trust you in every other issue. God, we love you. And we ask that we trust you a little better this week, that we'd lean on you and depend on you for strength. Thanks for Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen.